Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everybody. Just a note from me, Rhiannon, to say that my new supplements company, Hurrah, is finally here. It's taken years to get this off the ground. Retrition Plus is evidence-based, rooted in science, focused on you, and we offer vitamin D sprays, folic acid spray, and a vegan multivitamin. So head over to retritionplus.com for supplements you can finally trust. Hello, thank you so much for tuning into this week's Food for Thought a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, Sunday Times best-selling author and founder of the Harley Street Clinic Retrition and Evidence-Based Supplements Retrition Plus. In each episode of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field. So together, we can learn fact from fiction, empower ourselves to become the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Eat less and move more is, I think, thrown about everywhere at the moment in the media. It's what many of us assume is the way forward, I suppose, for weight loss, or as I like to call it, body fat loss. Now, with people often opting for low-calorie diets, increasing the amount of exercise at full pelt the minute they decide to start a journey, should we really be shifting our focus, I guess, away from calorie counting? This is a discussion that I'm really really thrilled to have had today with the fabulous Leanne Ward. So Leanne is a dietitian and we do really discuss the fact that it's not as simple as energy in, energy out. You're going to learn the ins and outs in the world of a registered nutritionist and dietitian working in this area and how best to measure our health. So here we go. Hello, Leanne. Thank you so much for having me, Rhiannon. Hello. <laughs> I am so happy to be able to speak to you. I feel like we've both had whirlwind um, lives over the past few years of pregnancies, babies, trying to work and do it all, um, which is impossible. The phrase is definitely not a good one. Um, and I guess it's a good starting point because we're talking about energy today, right? And energy in, energy out. What are your initial thoughts on the topic we've chosen? <laughs> 
I think it's a great one because, you know, it sounds like it's such a simple concept, right? But there's so much that actually goes into it. And energy itself is one thing, particularly um, I'm currently pregnant. I've got a toddler. Much like yourself, we live very busy lives. And energy itself is is one that's like the quest to find that throughout the day. <laughs> I find that it's kind of like it comes and it goes all the time. But then energy when it comes to thinking about things like your body's requirements and fat loss is a whole kind of another concept in itself. Oh, I know, I know. I think, um, and when we're understanding the concept of energy, I think a lot of people initially jump straight away, of course, to calories, or it's the opposite. They know about calories, they don't quite understand that we're not just talking about numbers. It's, it's so much more than just thinking about a number, it is thinking about how we fuel our body. So let's explain to our listeners the concept of calories first, um, a little bit of pros and cons there, maybe. I mean, in its most simple nature, a calorie is essentially just a unit of energy or it's a measurement of energy. It's how we measure energy um, in the context of, you know, the foods and the drinks that we consume. And if we wanted to, I guess, get a little bit sciencey for our listeners, a calorie is a unit of energy that is derived or equivalent to, um, it's all to do about the heat of energy. So a calorie is the heat of the energy needed to raise the temperature of one gram of water by one degree Celsius, essentially. So calories are really just a form of energy Um, and in Australia we actually talk about kilojoules a lot so one calorie is the equivalent of roughly 4.2 kilojoules so I know in the UK and in America they talk a lot about calories and I myself as a dietitian even though I I work with Australian and predominantly Australian clients I often talk about calories too just because I find it's a smaller measurement or a unit number Um, you know rather than saying you need 8,500 kilojoules a day I say you need roughly 2,000 calories a day so I myself even talk about calories but it's important to understand that calories and kilojoules are referencing the same thing. They're still a unit of energy or how much energy we consume from food and drinks, but they're just a different measurement in itself. Exactly. And there's a lot of talk about calories in our industry right now, quite rightly so, which is kind of a relief, but also at the same time, it's opened a floodgate because the understanding wasn't quite there initially anyway. Now we've got the dilemma of, you know, understanding an estimation of numbers uh, versus the fact that the phrase that's thrown about, I think, is not all calories are equal. Do you want to dissect uh, what we mean when this, this phrase or term is used? Yeah, so I think it really comes down to kind of the energy balance, you know, things like what goes in and what comes out. So I think we need to understand how much energy our bodies need on a daily basis. And even having said that, even if we were to consume, say, 100 calories, for example, it doesn't mean that the body's going to take that and absorb it and utilize all of those 100 calories just because it says it on a label. So when we think about the energy in and the energy out concept, because that's what a lot of people say as well, you know, they say, oh, weight loss is easy, just eat less and move more yes but no (laughs) because energy in is really what you're putting into your body in terms of food and drink and then energy out is what your body's burning in terms of the exercise you do whether that's formal or informal but also in terms of just what our body bodies require on a daily basis to live and breathe and keep our heart ticking over all of that burns in calories too so if you're putting in more energy than your body's putting out you're gaining weight or you're in a calorie surplus but if you're putting out more energy your energy expenditure is more than what you're putting in or what you're eating and drinking then you're in a calorie deficit and technically you should be losing weight and then energy balance is really just maintaining your weight so what you're putting in matches the energy that you're putting out 
out. So I think the energy in, energy out expenditure is simple enough to understand, but a calorie isn't just a calorie in some instances. And I think that's where a lot of people get a little bit tripped up um, in terms of that. Absolutely. I think we should give some examples um, of perhaps food items and things that I mean, it's not all black and white. We know that it's up, isn't there 30% inaccuracy on packets when we're looking at calculations of calories to begin with? Um, and of course, uh, some food is much more difficult to break down in the body or it's made up of perhaps more fiber than fat. And the way our body utilizes those foods is very different, isn't it? So when we're looking at energy, perhaps we should be looking at calories and what type of food we're eating. 100% and nuts are the perfect example of that. In the last couple of years, what we know and understand about nuts, I mean, a lot of people quite fear nuts because they're quite high in fat and they think, well, if I'm trying to lose weight, I shouldn't be eating too many calories. So I can't be just chowing down on handfuls of almonds or handfuls of cashews. And that statement may in itself be inaccurate or accurate, but nuts in itself, just because say, for example, a packet of nuts is labelled 500 calories, as an example. It doesn't necessarily mean that your body's going to take and absorb all of that 500 calories. Because nuts are high in fat, they've also got a great amount of fibre in there. And a lot of the fat is bound up in this plant-based fibre, which we know isn't digested um, entirely by the body. So although it might have 500 calories on the label, I think what we know and it's different depending on which nut, it might a body it might only absorb sort of 80 to you know 95 percent of all of those calories so and then like you mentioned as well food labels and menus can by law be 10 20 30 percent off um so even if you're scanning everything you eat into my fitness pal and tracking it it still might not necessarily be accurate and that's the other thing that we're humans and humans aren't perfect and just because we think we're eating a certain amount we always underestimate how much we actually eat and that was one of the first things they taught me in my degree as a dietitian I remember in, in day one in my first dietetic lesson, they said your clients will always underestimate what they're eating by about 20 to 30 percent and they will always overestimate how active they are by about 20 to 30 percent and I always thought that was amazing because I was like, but why, why would people do that? And we don't do it intentionally. I think for a lot of us, we just don't quite understand the energy density of foods and we don't quite understand how much we really sit in a day. I mean, we, we might think that we do, but we might you know, go to a 45-minute gym class five days a week. But out of that 24 hours, if we're spending seven, eight, nine hours sleeping, we're going to our gym class for 45 minutes, then we're sitting at a desk for eight, nine, 10 hours. We're simply not moving enough. We're simply not burning enough of that energy off that most of us are actually putting in. So there's a lot of discrepancies between what we put in and what the body actually burns. And I think that's where that concept of, um, you know, calories just a calorie isn't quite as accurate as, or as easy as what it sounds. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, I love the analogy there and um, the memory that you had as well at university, because I've got a memory of working in a kitchen. Um, I had one job at a private client's house and they had, a, I was insane, they had like a chef at the bottom of the building. It was absolutely crazy. And I remember the chef saying, oh, I'm making the mashed potato now. And he got like this pack of butter. It was of two people and he used half a pack of butter in the mashed potato. And I was like, wow. half? 
I said, like, that's a lot of butter. He goes, well, it has, it has to be this smooth. This is the texture. This is how you whip it. And then you can display it. And then he was doing the fancy, um, you know, pureed displays of potato. But it goes to show you don't know what you're ordering in a restaurant. And even with the legislation we have now in the UK, which is that calories have to be on food menus. Like you said, it's unlikely every single chef working in that restaurant is going to be weighing or putting the exact same amount of butter in each dish or oil. They're going to be liberally just, you know, spritzing things here and there and thinking, oh, that's going to taste good rather than thinking about sticking to their numbers. So for everyone listening, it's, it's a difficult thing. But like you said, energy out, energy in. We do have a bit of a global, it's now well, more in the Western type of um, society, but global problems with overweight and obesity. And calorie counting doesn't seem to have helped with this matter, has it? Not really. I mean, obesity is not a it's not a simple issue. It's a complex multifactorial disease. It's not just about calories. You can't simply say to somebody who's living in a 200 kilogram body to simply eat less because eating less from an energy density perspective doesn't necessarily mean eating less food in total. And I think what a lot of people think when they're counting calories and eating less to lose weight, that they have to physically eat less and they're going to be hungry, which turns a lot of people off. So obesity is one of those things where it's not just about what you put in your mouth. I mean, your genetics plays a part, your environment and your support systems play a part, mental health matters, your ability to purchase good quality nutrition, your ability to exercise in a safe way to go outside and be in a safe neighborhood where you could go for a walk at nighttime after you finish your dinner. That isn't available to everybody. You know, hormones, different types of illnesses and diseases, they matter as well. And it comes back to what some might think is basic knowledge and education, but some people just don't have that. So there's so many factors that create this, I guess, obesity epidemic that we're going through at the moment, but it's simply not the case of eat less and move more particularly if you're in a larger body, movement is really difficult. Just walking upstairs for some people can be absolutely exhausting. And so it's not something that is an easy fix. Um, And there's a lot of disciplines that need to come together and work together, not just nutritionists and dietitians, not just, you know, personal trainers, not just doctors. It takes a, it takes a whole team to really get on top of this disease. Um, I think we should, you know, term it a disease. And it's something that is becoming more and more common, particularly it breaks my heart in children as well but it's made up of so many different you know facets and areas that it's not as simple as just the food that we put in our mouth a lot of people think that it is but it's simply it's it's not that simple (laughs) no and it breaks my heart as well because I think um there's a lot of um stigma um, there's a lot of uh, negative language or there's just a lack of understanding, I think, for people that are living in a larger body in general. And it, we know as health professionals, it isn't straightforward, the psychological support needed to start this sort of thing. And that's why I get so frustrated, Leanne, when I see this messaging that, oh, it's just what you eat, it's calories in, it's calories out. And to a degree, I agree, it's more what you eat than movement when it comes to looking after your um, your body fat percentage. Movement's, you know, great for perhaps maintaining your goals, your mood, your energy, your long-term uh, weight, weight maintenance. But when it comes to initially, obviously, people need to be looking at the quality of their diet. So do you have any kind of um, top tips that you would give to anyone that's about to start on a body fat loss journey? Anything that you could just off the top of your head 
throw out there. Yeah, and I think it doesn't necessarily come back to eating less, but the energy density of the food has to come down. So I work in a space where I help women sustainably and healthily lose body fat, but also we work through things like digestion and hormones and their relationship with food as well. And the first thing I say to them is the goal of body fat loss isn't to be hungry. That's not the goal, right? We need to cut down the calories because there's a big misconception that if you eat healthy, you'll lose weight. And for some people, yes, but for others, not just eating healthy itself, although it's wonderful for our health, won't exactly equal fat loss. We have to be in what's called a calorie deficit. We have to be consuming technically less calories than our body actually needs because that's what helps our body burn off our fat reserves. So if we're not eating enough through our nutrition, the body will tap into our body fat reserves in our body and utilize that as energy. So that's the goal. We have to be in a calorie deficit, but the better we eat, the more volume of food we get because a hundred calories of say potato chips is nowhere near a hundred calories of if you chopped up a normal white potato and oven baked it in, in the oven itself, if it wasn't deep fried, you would get to eat a lot more if you take out the deep fried component of that. Or a hundred calories of corn chips is a lot less than if you ate a hundred calories of a cup of corn or you know, it's that sort of thing. So it's really looking at not necessarily eating less, but just making some smarter choices where we're bringing down the energy density of food, but we're actually keeping the volume of food the same. So I really love that concept of volume-based eating where you get to eat a lot of food for slightly lower calories. And if you're not eating things like fruits and veggies and high fiber types of whole grains and legumes, you're really going to find it hard to fill up whilst also being in a calorie deficit. If you're just eating quick, fast, you know, convenient style foods or ultra processed type foods, you're not going to get in the required volume of food that allows you to feel quite satiated between your meals. You're going to look for more snacks. And what happens is I think too many of us are over snacking, but not building balanced meals. We're not having balanced meals. We need more things to sort of keep us through until the very next meal and a lot of our snacks tend to be a lot more energy dense than what a lot of our balanced meals tend to be when we think about lean proteins and vegetables and salads and you know even serves of carbohydrates the good quality whole grain type of ones like we might put some beans and legumes on our plate some white potato or some sweet potato if you like or you know a bit of whole grain rice or some quinoa they're all great quality whole food sources but when you look at a hamburger you might have the same calories between 500 calories of mcdonald's or 500 calories of salmon with some quinoa and some vegetables. One meal is probably three times the size of what the other meal is. One meal, although there's the same calorie load, the body's going to take that food and digest it slightly differently. One's going to keep us fuller a lot longer, and it's also going to be higher volume. So you're going to feel more satisfied afterwards, and you're going to be able to last a lot longer without needing more snacks to pick us up. So I think the biggest tip I have for people is to actually understand the energy density of foods. And I'm not saying that calorie counting is something that's needed, but it can be helpful to give people a general understanding of the energy density of foods like I I see big I'm going to say mistakes for lack of a better word with my clients who are having lots of say um, you know they're making recipes with high energy bliss balls like they're blending up cashews and dates and you know argive syrup and peanut butter and they're making these delicious little morsels or these energy balls or these protein balls but then they're having three four between meals and I don't call them protein balls I call them energy balls because they're probably about one two three hundred calories per ball that can be more calories than what a whole main meal provides you with and because it's all blended up together it's not very filling like when we have to bite and chew and 
digest our food a lot more, it it makes us feel fuller for longer and the body actually has to have a slightly higher calorie load or burn a bit more fuel to actually break all that food down as well. So just having a general understanding of the energy density of foods can be helpful for a lot of people, I think. So I think that's a good place to start. I'm not saying we should all track our calories. And I'm saying we should just have that general understanding of the approach that is volume-based eating, but also that is um, just understanding that energy density of food and working one-on-one with a nutritionist or a dietitian can be a wonderful place to start because nutrition is very confusing. And I think because it's something that every single one of us does, like we all eat, we all think that it should be easy. The amount of clients I work with who say, I'm so embarrassed that I don't know what to do. or I can't get this right. I'm so embarrassed that I keep putting the weight back on that I've lost. And I think it's nothing to be embarrassed about because as nutritionists and dietitians, we get a university for three, four, five years. Like I've done close to six years of study and we study so much within that time that there's so many facets of nutrition that we, you know, like the physiology, the anatomy, even like we study units of psychology. We study the science behind nutrition. I remember the topic we did was like um, food science or we learnt how, you know, fat stabilises things and what foods bind particular foods in baking and like there's so much that goes into nutrition that I think people think it should be so easy but in reality it's really not and fat loss, like if you think nutrition should be easy, fat loss is a whole nother level and a whole nother complex topic on top of that as well. It's That was incredibly in-depth and thank you and so helpful. And I love how you started off by saying it's, it's not about being hungry because like you said, we study the psychology elements, massively so. And a lot of people think the minute they start on a body fat loss journey that they can't enjoy food. And as you said, volume eating is quite a nice approach for some people. And it's actually better than buying a stereotypical diet product or like you said, energy balls and all these things marketed as being healthy you're probably better off just having the one cube of chocolate you actually wanted rather than having five or six energy balls so there's a lot of psychological interactions when it comes to body fat loss and it is a whole other topic you are very right in uh, state in stating that it's so important but equally don't be obsessed with numbers just have a level of understanding and if there's anyone online shouting um one size fits all or it is just energy in energy out without the whole big picture just it's a little red flag for any any of our listeners now what about negative energy balance we haven't really delved into that side because that is when it's actually incredibly important we see in the nutrition clinic we get a lot of this too and it's so important that they actually do really understand what they're eating perhaps dare I say it more so sometimes yeah I think so and negative energy balance isn't I mean it sounds like this overly complex topic but essentially it is what we would term a calorie deficit so I think a lot of people if if you spend some time online on Instagram or TikTok you'll hear a lot of you know trainers shouting it's all about a calorie deficit you can't lose weight without a calorie deficit and I'm not saying that that's not true but I'm saying that there's a lot more that goes into it than that but I think understanding how the body and the metabolism operates is really important so a calorie deficit is very similar to a negative energy balance right it's it's a state at which less food or less energy is being taken in and expended by our metabolism and this results in decrease in body fat so like i said before the body will detect when we're not eating enough so when we're in this energy deficit or a negative energy balance the body will then tap into some of our fat reserves and utilize this to make up the difference to ensure that we're sort of we're getting enough in so it's it's eating slightly less than what your body requires in order Order for the body to then tap into your fat reserves and utilize that as energy but the thing about negative energy balances is the body's very smart right it's it's very 
it's very sort of hind and tuned into these things. So it slowly begins to downregulate all of what we call our like non-survival type functions. So your energy levels tend to go down, your vitality for life tends to go down, everything seems harder, your sex drive goes down, um, your daily fidgeting and movement goes down. Essentially over time, your body starts to downregulate all of these things it doesn't need to do to survive. Your metabolism starts to downregulate and then your body starts to fight back and your hunger tends to ramp up over time as well. So a severe negative energy balance, like eating a lot less than what your body actually requires, can actually decrease your metabolism over time. It decreases your bone mass and your muscle mass over time. It can play a reduction in terms of um, reducing things like your thyroid hormones, even testosterone levels. Um, It has an impact on your energy levels, your concentration levels, and even things like your physical performance in the gym. If you're eating in a negative energy balance or a calorie deficit, you're not going to be the person hitting PVs in the gym. You're not going to be running your best 5K, 10K time for your for your run each week. It's not going to happen. But the thing about an energy balance is it's needed to lose weight. It's the only thing that you can do to lose weight. You have to be in a negative energy balance. You have to be in a calorie deficit. But the body is very, very clever and it makes it really difficult to maintain over time. So I like to say, Rhiannon, that smaller deficits are better or smaller and negative energy balances are better. And then you just kind of keep adjusting the scale over time. Because what a lot of people do is they do a very large negative energy balance to start with or a very large calorie deficit. And sure, they lose five or 10 kilos, but then that weight loss stalls and it plateaus. And where do you go from there? You can't really pull out more food because you're already pretty, pretty damn hungry. And you can't really do much more exercise because most people have pulled out all the food and ramped up the exercise in week one. Yes, they're getting some great results, but by week four or five, they might be five kilos into their 10, 15 kilo journey if that's the goal, but they've got nowhere to move. So it's much better to do things slowly and sustainably over time. Your metabolism down doesn't downregulate as fast and the body doesn't kind of fight back as fast either. And you've got to remember that as you start to lose body fat, your body gets smaller. Even if it's just five kilos, you might not think it makes a difference, but what your body needed in a small deficit at, say, 70 kilos or, say, say 100 kilos is very different to what your body needs at 95 kilos, which is different to 90 kilos. So if you're eating the same amount of food, even though you've calculated this deficit and now you've lost 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 kilos and the deficit's not working anymore, it's because you're in a smaller body and you need to keep going with things. If you start too high, you don't really have much wiggle room to move from. So I always like to start with smaller deficits, do things more sustainably over time so we can keep bringing down the the negative energy balance over time. We can slowly just keep taking away little bits and little bits over time rather than saying, well, let's do a you know 30% calorie deficit to start with and you kind of got nowhere to go from there. So it's about playing the long game and being a little bit smart with it and not letting the body win overall, but also not staying in a deficit for too long or not staying in that negative energy balance for too long because your willpower gets exhausted, your motivation wears thin, your energy levels are in the tank, and it's really, really difficult to keep going with a negative energy balance for more than Honestly, for most people, between about sort of 10 to 16 weeks, about two, three, four months is probably the max amount of time that I would recommend for my clients to stay in a deficit for because you're just not getting any real positive benefits out of it after that because, you know, your metabolism does start to downregulate, things get a whole lot harder, and you genuinely start to hit quite a lot of plateaus after that. So I'm a big fan of kind of reverse dieting 
re-adding those calories back in, learning to live within that new body. And then if, say, someone had a large weight loss goal, say 30, 40, 50 kilos to begin with, and then you can go again. But I just don't think we need to do it all at once or push too hard in the beginning because it, we're just making it harder for ourselves long term. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Absolutely. And it's not a linear line weight loss, like you quite rightly said. And that is the number one mistake is fatty diets, fast weight loss. And that's why they are not successful. You've explained that beautifully. And I think for everyone uh, listening as well, just a quick note on metabolism, because I think a lot of people don't really understand what metabolism is. Uh, It's just how we process everything in our bodies. Do you want to have a little quick definition of metabolism that you would say would help people understand it more yeah sure and I think this is a great question because let's be honest you and I we we both see people and hear people blaming a lot of their weight issues on their metabolism and yes it's true that the rate Mm -hmm. at which our body breaks down food is linked to our weight but a slow metabolism in my experience isn't generally the cause of weight gain weight gain for most people is due to them taking in too much energy and not expending enough energy that's where weight gain comes from for most people so your metabolism essentially is it like it helps your body decide how much how much energy that the body needs it's the metabolism is is a way that the body processes the energy within the body now it will slow down over time if you're not if you're not feeding your body enough your metabolism starts to decrease over time but just because you've got a slow metabolism doesn't necessarily mean that it's broken or that you know you've ruined it I hear that a lot like oh my metabolism shot it's ruined it's never coming back that's not true you can always bring your metabolism back now the two things that are really helpful to improve your metabolism over time are simply eating more. Now, not eating more in a really huge amount where we're suddenly going to add in 500 or 1,000 extra calories into our day, just slowly over time increasing the amount of food that you're having. Because if your body is used to being on very low calories for quite a while, you've been a chronic diet or you've been following a big diet for a long time, you know, a couple of months or even longer. I've met clients who have said, oh, you know, I've been dieting for two years. You need to give the body a break and you need to give it more food but you 
you want to do that slowly. You don't just want to add a whole whack of calories in because you will gain weight because the body and the metabolism isn't used to processing all of that extra food. So you want to do it slowly. And the second thing that we know can really help positively our metabolism is muscle mass because muscle is a metabolically active tissue. So the more muscle we have, the better our metabolism and the better our metabolism, the more effectively we process the fuel and, you know, the more effective body fat loss will be. So we absolutely want a good metabolism, but just because it's sort of slowed down over time after a period of dieting or a negative energy balance, or we haven't been eating enough, doesn't mean it's going to stay there. We can absolutely do some weight or resistance style training, eat enough protein throughout the day. A lot of people, when they're doing these fad diets or these super low calorie diets, they're lacking in protein one of the ones that i dislike the most are those like juice type cleansers where you're just having like fruits and vegetables juice because oh. there's minimal protein there and all that weight oh, that you're losing that 5 10 20 kilos that you've lost of that's muscle mass and it just means you screw your metabolism long term so i'm always a big fan of getting in a good amount of protein regularly throughout the day it helps us support our metabolism but also weight training as well we're not training to be jacked powerlifters and squat you know 150 kilos we're just training to maintain our muscle because after the age of 40, I think the research shows us it's about one to two percent every year is what we lose in terms of our muscle mass. So it's really that age old thing like, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. So it's really important to pick up some weight training now, whatever your age, even if you're listening and you're 60, 70, 80 years old, it's never too late to start doing a little bit of resistance training. And if you're new to it, just using your body as resistance is enough in the beginning to, to do some some good there from a metabolic perspective as well. So metabolism is very important, but it doesn't ever get broken, put it that way. We can always kind of bring it back and improve. Absolutely. And just think about your everyday life, everyone, be it shopping bags, carrying them back from the shops. You know, if you can't afford or you can't get to the gym, I mean, my workouts are picking up my children every day. So perhaps that's what you do at home and that's still using your muscles. So have a think about things that you can do, like Leanne said. But we should also add a little warning here when it comes to this whole podcast. I think we've discussed calories. Calories can be very harmful, can't they? And I think we just have to put a bit of a disclaimer in that for some people, perhaps this is not a good approach and it could trigger disordered eating or uh, worst case scenarios eating eating disorders so if anyone's listening and you're thinking I've spent a lot of my life following these fad diets I've counted for years then I'd probably just tell your practitioner whoever you go to speak to this probably isn't the best approach uh, for me right now now I want to discuss something that's been in the headlines recently and it's all these weight loss drugs I don't know what it's like over in Australia but we've got the launch in mainstream um pharmacies in the UK of certain injections and these injections can um, affect our appetite and a lot of people are being prescribed them and seeing these big results and I don't know what the situation is in Australia or what you um, what you have to say on this subject. I must admit it's definitely not a subject I'm overly familiar with. I do really try to use, you know, diet and lifestyle strategies. I don't really work with many clients on weight loss medications at all. So I'm probably not the expert in this area by any means. But from my understanding, a lot of these drugs and injections you do need to take long term. And it's kind of like if you stop taking them, a lot of the weight comes back on again. And again, a lot of these drugs and injections cause rapid weight loss. You know, we're talking 10 kilos in a matter of a couple of weeks or a month month and it's not all weight loss you have to understand that if you jump on the scale and you've lost 10 kilos in a month it's all fat loss 
Five kilos might be muscle mass, a kilo or two might be some fluid, and a couple of kilos might be fat loss. We don't want to lose our muscle mass. It's like gold. I say to my clients, like, hold on to that. It's so precious. You can't, you know, it takes so long to build it. We absolutely don't want to be losing our muscle mass. And I think a lot of these drugs and medication, they encourage, you know, if you're decreasing someone's appetite, you're not teaching them to eat better. You're just teaching them to not eat. And that from a health perspective isn't great. So I always say that healthy eating is one thing and fat loss is another, but there's absolutely no reason that they can't work together. You can lose body fat and still be healthy, but you can't just say, I'm going to eat healthy and necessarily lose body fat because we need that component of a negative energy balance. So I mean, for some people, these drugs can be a really great thing, but I think a lot of the medications that we're seeing a lot trending in Australia are really based on conditions such as insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes, whereas a lot of, say, celebrities and, you know, people with access to money are using these drugs when they're not supposed to be, you know, in areas that they're not supposed to be used and they're using them traditionally for weight loss, but they're actually having some really good effects on a lot of people because they do have a level of insulin resistance where no matter how much exercise or how less they eat the fat loss it's not happening because their body's not able to tap into the energy that they're eating turn it into glucose and use it for energy the body's just not working as effectively as it should because there's a level of insulin resistance there so those drugs if you have specific medical conditions for some of them it may be quite helpful but i think a lot of us are using them you know we're generally healthy people we don't have these medical conditions these drugs are meant for um we just don't have a good understanding of how fat loss works and how the energy and energy composition actually works so I mean that's probably as much as I can really say on them I'm not a big fan of them but they definitely do have a place I believe but I think we just need to be very careful that if they're creating massive weight loss or rapid weight loss that we really need to be um, careful that a lot of that isn't our muscle mass because it will backfire on us long term or you look at these programs where I don't think they're on TV anymore but like the biggest loser where they get to the end and they just have all of this loose skin because the weight loss has been so rapid and then they need surgery afterwards to remove like 20-30 kilos of loose skin so the slower you do it the better I know that we live in an age where it's like quick fast right now I want a date I'll go on tinder I want food I'll go on uber Eats. I want a taxi I'll you know jump online and order it straight away like we live in an age where everything is at our fingertips and we want it instantly but I always say to clients like I had a client today I was talking to Rhi and she said I'm so happy I've lost seven kilos but I still want to lose another seven and I'm so I'm so annoyed at myself I didn't get to the 10 you know she had this big 10 kilo goal in her head and I said well come on it took you the, the goal was I think 12 or 15 or together and I said how long did that take you to put on it didn't take you 12 weeks and she said probably about three or four years and I think if it took us three or four years to put it on it sure shouldn't come off in 12 weeks time so I think we just need to be a little bit more realistic with our, our goals and our expectations like if we were to just lose 500 grams every month that was it you know that would be you know what um, massive not much point six kilos at the end of every year if we did that for a couple yeah consistently 12 yeah. kilos after two years you know it's we just have these big lofty goals we want things so instantly but we forget that our bodies really do take time to adapt so there might be a time and place for medications but I also think yeah. that we just have to give ourselves a little bit of grace and a little bit more time and work with a professional understands this area of energy density and fat loss and sustainable fat loss because losing weight's one thing but maintaining it's another and if you're not working with someone who actually talks about what is my plan for the future i really encourage you to find another health practitioner if they just leave you hanging after you've lost the 
five, ten, eight kilos, whatever it might be, and you don't have a plan moving forward to actually increase the amount of food that you're eating, they're not a great practitioner and they don't really understand what they're doing. And you're going to blow out eventually where that weight's going to come back on because nobody can survive or live on low calories forever. No, and what you've just said sums up a lot of the problem with these, a lot of people out there that aren't qualified selling online programs for weight loss. They don't have that foresight because they're not educated in that area to realize that this is what happens. People buy their program, they spend the money, they lose the weight, the weight goes on, or there's no maintenance plan. There's there's no understanding of the body. And actually, a lot of these medications are originally prescribed for people that are morbidly obese or, you know, to the other end of the spectrum. So they need to lose weight rapidly for the, perhaps a bariatric surgery or a completely different area. And then suddenly this research becomes used for mainstream people with perhaps diabetes. And and then we get a bit of a problem, like you just said. And it's it's a complex subject. I'm not an expert in this area at all either. And it's really valuable to hear your opinion on it as well. I echo I echo what you have said. And we have some questions from our listeners. And I really wanted to get this one in from James. He said, does our gut health play a role in the amount of calories that we get from food? And I thought that was a really interesting question, especially as everyone seems to be talking about this subject now in mainstream media. It's a really interesting one. It's a great question. And I don't think we specifically know the answers, but what we do have in terms of our understanding of gut health, like gut health is such a new area. What we know is, is really the bulk of it is in the last kind of 10 years. It's really exploded in the research. And what we know from a gut health perspective is that yes, it does have an impact on weight loss or how many calories we get to consume, all that sort of thing. But I think the bulk of that really comes back to the hormones that are made in our gut. So where the link between gut health and weight loss comes from is because our gut uh, creates a couple of different hormones. One of them is leptin and one of them is ghrelin. And I think of ghrelin as like the gremlin type hormone, like the bad guy. He's the one that drives up hunger. Whereas leptin is a hormone that allows our body to feel full and satiated. So a lot of people would have heard that, you know, wait 20 minutes after your meal to really think if you're really hungry or not. And where that comes from is really that hormone leptin where our gut releases that hormone. It then travels up to the brain and tells our brain, hey, you're starting to feel satisfied. Maybe you've had enough food. In a normal, quote unquote, normal, healthy body, that hormone is being released like normal and it's traveling up to the brain and people are feeling full and satiated and they're not overeating. In somebody with obesity, a lot of times that hormone and research support this, that hormone is kind of diminished or it's not being released as normal. So people aren't feeling full. They're not feeling satiated. They're overeating consistently over time because they're not getting this message from our brain. Now, whether that comes from poor gut health or whether poor gut, it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg. Like we just don't know. But what we do know is that better gut health can be positive for, for weight loss and better gut health. One of the best things we can do is eat a diversity of different types of plants and fibers. And that comes back to a good quality whole food diet. So that's only going to be helpful from a weight loss perspective and from a health perspective overall. So I think those two hormones, the big players when it comes to fat loss and health as well, when you look at that link between gut health and weight loss, but I don't think we know much more specifics rather than that. I think we will in the next couple of years, but the research just hasn't all the science quite caught up to, to us, you know, knowing specifically um, those links between gut health and how many calories we can eat if we have good gut health or not. Absolutely. And the one final question, because I feel like we've we've actually got lots, but I think we've kind of covered a lot of them, like PTs recommending low calorie diets. Obviously, we'd probably say no, go to a you know qualified professional with nutrition just double checking. I think this one's good. Glucose monitoring. So Bonnie, 
I said, I see a lot of people at the moment wearing these glucose monitors. Should I be getting one? And this is another area that it worries me so much, Leanne, because we don't all need to be walking around with these, do we? 100%. And I've been offered them, you know, you and myself are both what some people would consider influencers on social media. And I'm sure you've been offered them just like I have from companies. But it's just another element of tracking in our life. What, you know, it might be a fitness watch, those, you know, those rings, those new, someone was talking about them the other day, one of my clients, like those rings you wear to bed, they tell you your sleep data. Like we've got so many aspects of our lives that we can track. So I feel like is it going to positively impact your journey that much? If you're diabetic, absolutely. Tracking your glucose is really important. If you're someone that has these huge energy dips and swings and hormone you know, dips and swings throughout the day, potentially it could be really important. If you're someone who um, has previously had gestational diabetes in pregnancy and you're really worried that you may develop it again, potentially. But for the average person, um, you know, our understanding of nutrition, if we're pairing good balanced meals, if we're making meals with protein and fiber and a good amount of healthy fats and you know some veggies and some salads and some high fiber type carbohydrates the glucose is already more slowly absorbed by the body than if we were just to sit down and eat a whole bowl of white rice or eat a whole um you know couple of slices of bread without any protein or fat there like we know that pairing certain nutrients with other nutrients can actually help to stabilize that glucose regulation through the body i don't think we need a tracker to tell us that so i just sort of think what huge benefit or i just think the impact on your life or how much you would need to do for that or potentially even the negative impact on our life sometimes too much information is too much information (laughs) so I just think what would you use that for and why like would it actually make that much of an impact on your life or the way that you you know chose to develop and make your meals and if it would well potentially it may be a good idea but I think for the average person it's just too much overwhelm it's just too much information and too much information can be a bad thing I think we live in a world where we have nutrition overload in terms of information and so many of us are so overwhelmed that if we you stuck a glucose tracker on my arm despite being pregnant at the moment I still as a dietitian would find that overwhelming so I just think we live in an age where sometimes more is not better and I think in these cases unless you have a clear indication for it um, medical or maybe family history wise I probably wouldn't be recommending it for the average person thank you perfect now we're going to move on to our fact or fiction round are you ready I'm ready nutrients over numbers is more important yes low calorie options are the healthiest no false (laughs) dieting is not suitable for long-term weight loss oh that's a hard one i mean dieting is the only way so that negative energy balance i think you have to define a diet right a diet is really just the food that we eat it doesn't have to be a negative association with it so that's not a black and white answer can i choose not to answer that one (laughs) (laughs) hormones can affect our energy balance fact High intensity interval training burns the most calories. Fiction. Oh, I mean, in maybe the time period, potentially, but long term, we know that strength training can actually be better longer term. So I'd say fiction overall. (laughs) Perfect. Eating more protein speeds up the metabolism. Fact, because it supports muscle mass. And we know that better muscle mass speeds up our metabolism. So fact. Fat is the most energy dense food. Calorie information on food packaging is always accurate. (laughs) Fiction. (laughs) The types of food we eat can affect our energy levels. Fact. 
and you have to break a sweat during exercise to burn loads of calories. I used to think that, but actually, fiction, I'm a big fan of walking these days since having my little bub. I enjoy walking more than anything these days. So I've definitely changed my tune on that. I used to think if you didn't sweat during a workout, it didn't count. That was me, sadly enough. I I hate to admit that. I used to also be that person that thought if I didn't go to the gym this many years ago that I just definitely wasn't exercising. And since having children, I've been proved wrong on every single corner as well. So um, Leanne, that does wrap up our episode, but we always finish with a food for thought. And I think I'd love to first conclude by saying thank you and that was so informative and I think our listeners are going to have gained so much information from this episode but equally the fact that I think we have lost touch this always comes back and resonates with me when I discuss the topic of energy in energy out that we do want things on a plate right now and it's not our fault we live in a society that is fast-paced as Leanne said and things are thrown at us all the time be it on social media in the mainstream news the pharmaceutical industry everyone is bombarding us with choices 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 and sometimes it is just a case of learning your body which is hard if you've got don't have a correct health professional to guide you to do that because we're not educated how to do that at school that's for sure and it really is a, a difficult thing it's not easy it's not simple this discussion we're having so it's nothing to do with willpower it really is a multifaceted kind of conversation and area um Leanne, do you have a food for thought or a take-home message for our listeners today? Yeah, I want our listeners to remember that we food, not numbers. And I think it's very difficult. We live in this age where we're doing intermittent fasting and we're doing if it fits my macros and we're flexible dieting and we're tracking all the food that we eat. But we eat food, not numbers. And as clinicians, we are seeing, I saw somebody with scurvy the other day. We were like, I used to, you know, like somebody was scurvy in 2023. Like we are having vitamin and mineral deficiencies despite every access to good quality nutrition mm. for most fortunate people, right? So I want you to remember that we eat food, not numbers. And it's the quality of the food that we eat that really dictates our health long term. And who cares about body fat loss if we're not actually living in a healthy body? Because we only have one body to live in. If we're not going to take care of it, if we're not going to provide it with all the nutrients that it needs, it doesn't matter if we have a six pack. It doesn't matter if we look fabulous in a bikini at the end of the day, if that body is not going to last another 10, 20, 30, 50 years time. So my My food for thought is really that we eat food, not numbers. So stop being so obsessed with the numbers around food and start looking at the quality of the nutrients that you're putting into your body. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love chatting to you always. Leanne, where can all of our listeners go to see more of you and also follow your journey at the moment? Very exciting time. Yes, thank you. So on Instagram, I'm the fitness dietitian. I do highly regret my name, but it's been my name on Instagram for the past <laughs> close to 10 years. So I think it's a bit late to change it. Um, on every other platform, I am Leanne Ward Nutrition. Um, so my podcast is Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast, just like you, Rhea, interview experts from all over the world. But I've also got another um, fabulous podcast called the Nutrition Couch Podcast, where we talk about trending media topics. We answer listener questions. We talk about um, client case studies as well. So if you're interested to learn a little bit more about what happens in the day-to-day life of a dietitian or what's trending in the media, check out the Nutrition Couch podcast. And of course, my website is um, leannewardnutrition.com.au and also my coaching service is Lean Gut My Method if you'd like to work with one of me or my team. Leanne, it's such an honor and always so inspiring when I get to speak to you and see how much you also juggle um, in this crazy chaotic world. Thank you for coming on Food for Thought. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ruth. 
If you're enjoying Food for Thought, hope so, <laughs> you'll love the upcoming episodes. So if you don't already, please subscribe. Make sure that you click to be the first to hear it each Monday. There's a lot of podcasts out there now, and I really hope that we're maintaining the ultimate research and the ultimate guest to make sure that you're getting the best experience possible. So if you're having a good time and you're learning lots, please do leave a review if you can so we can reach those higher highs in the charts and ultimately get to reach more people. That's what it's all about. And for more information about my best-selling books, the science of nutrition, of course, uh, deliciously healthy pregnancy, the Retrition Clinic, recipes, so much more, just head over to retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on all social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.